I'm David Zetland. Welcome to Jive Talking. Hey folks, this is the second to last podcast of Jive Talking. Uh, don't forget that I am going to do an AMA for the last podcast and you can find the link to submit your questions uh, in the show notes of this episode. It's Wednesday, the 30th of August, and uh, I'm in my office with Brandon Zika, uh, who's uh, been on Jive Talking more than once uh, with me, and we are on our penultimate uh, episode of Jive Talking, uh, and we might be talking about something new as a podcast series, but uh, before we get to that, uh, uh, we're going to talk about Brandon's expertise or philosophical uh, expertise and and my daily work, which is liberal arts and sciences education. Uh, So uh, without further ado, uh, Brandon, welcome back to Jive Talking. Hi, hi, David. (laughs) So, we work at Leiden University College. We do. It is a university college which is defined in the Netherlands as to being kind of this liberal arts school, small classes, English tuition. Uh, the uh, um, the uh, professors and students come from all over the world with a lot of uh, uh, focus on, on Europe uh, in terms of their origins. Uh, but uh, let's get going with the basic thing here, which is uh, what do what are liberal arts and sciences traditionally, and then how are we doing it here in the Netherlands? So, in terms of my expertise, it's it's, it's interesting. It's not my expertise in terms of my uh, formal education, but it is in terms of my uh, my life in terms of what I've actually lived. So when I went to college, I went to a liberal arts college, and I went to grad school. I intended to go to a li- work at a liberal arts college. That was the career I wanted to have. Then I got you know. Um, inducted into the cult for a while, into the, into the discipline, and I, you know, did some research um, postdocs, and then, you know, I was at a bar one day, kind of down on my luck, thinking about how I was going to apply for jobs back in the U.S. at liberal arts colleges, and it turned out the guy next to me turned out to be the dean of the Leiden University College that was just starting up, and uh, we happened to have a common interest in, in, in a particular uh, British science fiction author, mm-hmm. and we started talking about that for a while, and then it came to what, what is I teach, my expertise, which is... Uh, at that point was mostly uh, political science and the intersection of public policy. And he was like, well, that's exactly what we need at our, at our college because we just lost all that teaching and that's how I ended up here. So my, my life is constantly being pulled back, mm-hmm. this kind of education. And, I've, and, I've, and, I, and I chose it when I chose it in high school very reflectively. It was, it was, a, whole th- it was a whole thing. I did, I did it on purpose. It wasn't one of, I wasn't necessarily one of the students who just chose it because I didn't know what else I wanted to do in life. But wait, wait a second. Jump back to that dean. Yeah. How did he pitch LES to you? <laughs> did, did he say, we're doing liberal arts and sciences, and you're like, I have no idea, or I know exactly what you mean? How did that go? I sort of pitched it to him. Ah. So I raised the topic. So it was kind of one of those things. He's from I, a school, which is liberal Yeah, arts. but I didn't know this. He was, he was just this British fellow who I was talking to about science fiction at this bar. Yeah. And I was, I mentioned that I was planning. He was asking me, well, what do you do? And I was telling him my career. He said, well, I'm, I'm a professor at Leiden too. Uh-huh. And I was about like, you know, my plan was, you know, I'm gonna finish this postdoc and then I'm, I'm gonna try to get jobs in the US at the liberal arts college. And uh-huh. hopefully yeah. that was gonna go, well, he goes, well, I just have to be a dean in the liberal arts college. <laughs> Here, here, here in the Netherlands. What a setup. Yeah, so, so I, I, I already settled to him that I, I knew what was up, and I think the conversation that followed after that was me sort of well, having a conversation similar to this about mm-hmm. how I viewed uh, what, what a college like that should be and, 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 and how, uh, yeah, and what would be the, the core ethos of such a place. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he liked everything I had to say. He liked that I had exactly the expertise the college needed at that moment. He liked that I was very conversant right off the bat on, on these sort of things. That he was It was a building phase, right? They had just started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, that sort of you know clear vision for him was, was, was very useful. Mm-hmm. And, and it continued to be, I think, a, 
a factor, you know, moving forward in terms of my participation in building the college. So, yeah, say more about that because, you know, you said he liked your vision. So he might have had his own vision and there are other people who are working here already yeah. who had visions. So did that gel around some common? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that, I mean, people, I, I think for, for me when it comes to these issues, I, I, I think people think I'm not as sympathetic as I am to arguments about um, relativism and, and the contestedness of concepts, right? So when, when, I, when, I, when I think about the essence of a thing, I really am trying to get down to its kind of raw integrity. So, so my vision on, on liberal arts and science is why it has lots of implications, really just rests on a couple of really core mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I don't have that specific vision. I mean, one of the things that um, was a real controversy earlier on um, among the various people thinking about building liberal arts colleges, particularly at Leiden, as I understand, in the early politics of the place, mm. was whether or not it should be more of a classically oriented curriculum where it's like an old school, great books kind of curriculum versus this kind of newfangled interdisciplinary thing and, and, and what vision it would be. And, and so there are people he, here, for example, our first educational director and so on, who, who really had battle scars about this, right? They really, they were like, this is what LAS is, it's this interdisciplinary modern thing that's like old and, I, and I'm someone who thinks that they're all of these forms mm-hmm. really get really really meet the core there's a lot of ways to, to, to do a good liberal arts I think college education if you keep in mind a couple of core things that are like form the telos of that education and if you if you do that like its purpose and its ethos and if you stick to those things you can do it a lot of different ways okay too much Greek telos and ethos put those in context please yeah well the, the telos is just you know the um, the purpose to which th- all things should be oriented in, in, mm-hmm. in a particular activity, right? So if you're if you're if you're building a bridge, your telos is building bridges, okay? Right. Like yeah. so. Yeah. So it's about what, and, and, and then there's certain things about that you want to do it as safely as possible, as efficiently as possible. Is you know. ethos the way you go about? Yes, it? Yes, the... the ethos is the way you, you go about it, right? Mm-hmm. Your 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 progress, the the, the, the kind of practices you you would mm-hmm. you would tend to implement mm-hmm. as a part of pursuing that kind of purpose, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of implicit in the purpose. And I think there are certain things that are implicit. So I mean, if I just boil it down, mm-hmm. one of the core things that I think differ, so we can, we, we can talk, we can unpack this in terms of history and how we got this way. But I think that one of the core things that the liberal arts kind of form of education preserves is the old vision of education that its purpose is to form individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a telos. Yeah, it's telos is to form individuals. It's to um, it takes it, it takes real stock in individuality and its cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, this differs from the way we think about education now, which is much more about job placement, about skills and opportunity creation. Whereas for the the more classically oriented view, view those goods. Were were side benefits yeah. of cultivating the individual, right? They're they're not so you, you can't confuse the the goods for the target, yeah. right? And, and and I think it's because this this form of education it's it's telos and it's and it's and it's one of its core uh, um, resulting ethos of how how it, how, it, how it functions rests a lot on kind of oblique strategies to get to get goods as I call it. This idea that you pursue one thing, yeah. And it gets you the other thing because pursuing that one thing itself is actually counterproductive. And one of the classic examples of, uh, of people all know about this when it comes to like this everyday wisdom is like, you you can't you can't set out to fall in love with someone <laughs> and have them fall in love with you. Right. In fact, if you try to do that, right, you you 
you know, the further, the more, harder you try, the further away that goal will be. Pretty true. Right? I mean, there's other things you can do, like oblique strategies, like you can become a little bit more self, self-governing, you can, you know, engage in better hygiene. Yeah. You know, you can, uh, you, you can, you pay a little bit of attention to the way you, you come off to people. You know, you can perfect yourself in terms of being a, an amiable companion. Mm-hmm. And if that's your goal, you might get the love thrown in. But if you directly point out the love, you're going to end up wasting it. And I think that we, we see this in education. One of the things that are a lot of education has become a form of job training mm-hmm. because we're so yeah. concerned with this. It's all about skills. And it, it's it's dehumanizing. Yeah. Right? It becomes all about, I mean, we have students who are competing to have the most ticks on their resume, have the most skills in their, in their, ba- in their basket, rather than actually knowing who they are. It's all about the external. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's so. I want to stop you for a second, and, and so my point. The, 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 oh, sorry. That, 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 and we, I think, is is a result of of focusing too much on the, on on the, on the on the on the goodies, right? Rather than on the goal, right? Right. So, but anyway, so just to sum up, liberal arts and sciences are really have that at, at their core, right? So I, I I only stop you because I want to go I, I, stronger I on this. I know because um, like when I went to UCLA, which is nothing nothing like a liberal arts school, right? Uh, when I went to campus, it was kind of like, go do your thing. There's a million classes. Right. Figure yourself out. And and in the 90s, when I did this, the log- the, the, the discussion was not, uh, you have to do this so you can get a job. Uh, and I had the most job-ready major possible, economics and business. I was literally like straight line, straight shot into the consulting businesses. And I went to their jobs fair, and I was like, so... Why are you guys interesting? And they had no answer for this, right? And and if you look at this kind of instrumental thing of like pushing out these cookie cutter students so that they can fall into the like what's that called modern modern times kind of yeah. in the assembly line, like you're just pieces of the machine, bricks in the wall. Then I think that almost has never worked on any level with education. However, it seems like uh, a lot of bureaucrats and, and and a lot of businesses somehow think that this is a good idea, and it defeats the purpose of education. It's counterproductive, and that's why we get a lot of people with useless degrees, too much debt, don't know what they're doing. Now, if we go back to the liberal arts tradition, which is what you, I'm just uh, uh, using your words here, is to develop the individual very much like what Maria Montessori was doing with Montessori School. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it is, if you get that result, there is no bad thing, right? You have developed as an individual. If that person doesn't fit into the cookie cutter of whatever the machine needs, that is not a bad thing. Um, now, the, the machine is very unhappy about that, and I think that's where the rubber hits the road here. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you also get, and this is where I want to talk about challenges for us as teachers, you get students who are like trying to explore themselves and express themselves, and you're like, do the fucking homework. You know, you need to, to do this, that, and the other. It's like, I'm expressing myself. It's like, no, you need to. So there's this balancing act also where we're supposed to be shepherding them to their, to their self-glory, and they're not able to grasp that because, for example, they're chasing grades uh, or because uh, they don't trust us or whatever. So right. how do you deal with that whole ball of well, thoughts? I think part of it is that one of the things that's implicit in, 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 in the liberal arts kind of approach to the self, right, is that this idea of go find yourself by completely following your own lights and kind of um, and just doing whatever yeah. is not, that's not the idea of how you cultivate yourself. Mm-hmm. The idea is you cultivate yourself by truly engaging subject to subject mm-hmm. with as many of the great conversations and things in the kind of human experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's a cultivation of the human experience. And that once you have that sort of exposure and reflection of those things, once you, once you, once you another oblique strategy, mm-hmm. once you see how you sit in relation to all these other things, mm-hmm. you learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's not about navel gazing. Right. And the, idea, and the art of building a liberal arts and science curriculum 
is about recognizing that you need to, however you want to structure it, yeah. your goal is to induct students into a series of great conversations about important things, such that in the practice of doing so, and in the reflection of doing so, they acquire a lot of self-knowledge and skills in the process. So for example, having you know, a detailed conversation about a class I teach, about the debates between like Edmund Burke and Mary Wollstonecraft and Thomas Paine, I don't expect them to remember any necessarily any of the detailed arguments or exchanges or content. Mm -hmm. But the engagement with that debate and reflecting upon it teaches them something very important that does stick right. about themselves that is useful in many other domains. So very often our lessons are 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 in in on the way to something else. And right. and, and I think the the kind of standard education model that exists outside of the liberal arts universe mm -hmm. is much more focused on that content. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it, when we think about you're in biochemistry. Uh, yes. You're going to do biochemistry. Have you met the learning objectives in a measurable fashion? Right. Rather than you know at the end, have you are you dealing with someone who's really uh, you know a cultivated, self-governing, self-knowing, uh, you know person who 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 really has a sense of where they are in the world, what the world is like, mm -hmm. even if what they know in the world is it's a lot more complicated than they thought. Mm -hmm. uh, but they have they have some way to shape and approach that complexity, rather than you know the terror that they might come in with when they first encounter that. Yeah, the things that they all thought they knew was not necessarily the only way to know things. Yeah, and and that terror is self defeating because yeah. if you just uh, you know what is it? Terror is always self defeating. Yeah, if you are like Bruce Lee would say, if you are like water, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And and you let it flow over you, so to speak, and then you're like, wow, I. So I want to ask you a question. When when you... I just want to say one thing about fear because it's, it's it's a great concept, and I, I I when I give my talk to first years, I have a whole section on it. Ah. right. And I can't remember. I, I should commit it to memory. The, the famous line about a uh, uh, little monologue about fear from Dune. Ah. But there's this idea where fear is the mind killer, right? Mm -hmm. And it leads to total obliteration. Mm -hmm. And the, and there's something really true about that, which is fear is one of the most inimical things to individuality you can think of, because yeah. all it does is tear down any self-governance or self-control you have. I mean, it's really important to know fear and be able to. It's a valuable piece of information, but it is inimical if you hold on to it. Yeah. To any sort of like healthy individuality. I don't mean individualism. It's individuality growing. Yeah. So it's 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 the worst possible. It's the worst thing to put in a, into an educational suit. And it's and it's not just about individuality. It's also terrible for the group or terrible for the collective. Because, for sure. And I, I heard this in a podcast this morning. I wrote it down. I'm looking at my email, yeah. and it says. Humans get angry when you remind them of their vulnerabilities. Yeah. Right? If you if you just yeah. say to a person, you should be afraid, they instantly want to kill you. Yeah. It's like even though you've done nothing except reminded them. Yeah. And and so we as 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 humans, you know, that's what uh, that's what school is supposed to be a safe space. Like before safe spaces became safe spaces, yeah. school was schools were school. You would go there, you would admit you didn't know something, yeah. you would learn something from someone who hopefully knows something, right? And that would make you a better person. And then by constantly grappling with your fears, essentially, then um, you would s slowly loosen your grip on those fears, or their grip yeah. on you, I should say, yeah. right? And and I want to go back to when you yeah. were a student, yeah. and you were coming into a, a, a liberal arts Yeah, program. I was in a proper liberal arts college in the yeah. middle of the plains of Iowa. So what? when did you, <laughs> did you have a class that you got confronted by? You're like, I'm not sure if I like this. Oh, yeah. Then, so give me an example. No, so actually, one of the things, I always tell the story when, when I'm talking about student evaluations and why I don't, I don't <laughs> think about them the way a lot of people 
other people do. Right. Is that I, I tell students this in my classes. I really, I really don't care how, how, what their experience is like at the end of the class. I, I couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, actually, I kind of hope they're a little unhappy mm-hmm. and miserable. Right. I hope that I hope that I push them enough to the limit that a number of them feel broken a little mm-hmm. bit. Right. In a way that's constructive. A constructive we should put brokenness. this on over our interest. Yeah. yeah. So you will come out slightly yeah, broken. A, a constructive brokenness, the kind yeah. of thing where they're they're really haggard at the end, but yeah. it's because they've been through a battle, right? And then right. when they heal, they, they get some sort of wisdom from that battle. Yeah. I care about their evaluation of the class like six months to six years later. <laughs> right? And it's and this is the story as to why. So I took a class with um, he was the same guy I took intro to political science with, actually. I took a class, political theory, and I took this class because my girlfriend at the time in college was like, thought this guy was this the greatest, and I should totally take a cl- more classes with him, even though I suffered terribly mm. in intro to political science. Mm-hmm. So I took his class on political theory, political theory two, I think it was, so mm. the moderns. And I mean, this class, this guy was a monster. I mean, he, he was, first of all, I, I immediately liked him at first because he was, he was from New York, <laughs> so he was familiar to me. Um, and you know, I just got him because Midwestern people were just very strange to me at that point. And, and then he was just, he was just rough, mean, mean. He would throw chalk at people oh, if, if, he called, if he called them dozing at all. He would scream at them and call them stupid. He would, I mean, he, but he was painstaking as well. Like you gave him these papers and he, he gave you so many papers. You had like, I checked my syllabus recently. We had a full essay, like a critical evaluate, like a critical reflection paper due every week of that class yeah. for a full semester. Wow. So these are these little, I think it was no more than four pages, mm-hmm. I think. And he read every single word so carefully. And he had like a ruler and he, like, he had like red lines and he just ripped your crap apart. Right? Yeah. Yep. I loathed this man. Mm-hmm. I loathed this class. I was deeply confronted. My evaluation for him was, was very middling. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of like, he's a brilliant, brilliant person, but God, what a... What a son of a bitch. <laughs> or what an asshole, right? I mean, he was so brutal. Yeah. Um, and then there's this other guy who I love, who was at my wedding even, um, who I still love. Mm-hmm. Who He taught a class. He taught classes on EU politics and European comparative politics, and I was just great at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, I gave him the best evaluations. Mm-hmm. I could not tell you one thing about the EU structure that I learned <laughs> in that class, and yet my entire professional trajectory has been moving back towards the intersection of political theory and political life. That, right. And, and that class with, with, uh, with Ira Strauber mm-hmm. and, uh, at Grinnell College was, was, was the reason that, I mean, it's been, it's been incredibly impacting my life. But it, but it was like a depth charge that landed in my soul, and it didn't really internally de- detonate until much later. Yeah. Right? And I yeah. think that that's really good education should be doing stuff like that. So I, I had a, a version of that experience, and it's one of my favorite experiences in education, so maybe this is why we're talking about this way. But when I was in high school, English, senior English was uh, write a paper, give it to one of the mm. other students. This other student, will, you'll stand up and whatever, read your paper or something like that. And the, or you wouldn't read your paper, but the other student would stand up and critique your paper in front of a class of whatever, 20. And basically, you know, uh, uh, you, know you, could, you could go for the, the jugular, basically. And, and the, the, the critical feedback was absolutely fucking brutal. I mean, imagine, <laughs> you know, teenagers being mean to each other. This yeah. was it. This was like, you know, yeah. Hollywood time. And um, I... I got a lot, like so much out of that class. Most obvious thing, like who's reading your paper? Yeah. Uh, second most obvious thing is like fucking get your act together when you write things down because yeah. someone's gonna take it apart. Yeah. And um, and anyway, so, so and that was a class that still, I, I, to this day, it was-, it was I abso- see it in your writing practice. Yeah, it was absolutely stressful, like beyond yeah. stressful for a 17 year old, but it was also very productive. Um, and there's, there's, there's some element of 
But I, 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 I agree with everything you're saying about the, the, the evaluations and, and stressing out students. And, um, and I, I think the only thing I do to try and reduce, to, to address this, 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 this fear and, 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 and anger and whatever that is uh, of the students is to say on day one, this is a hard class. <laughs> so don't get any wrong ideas. This is a brutal class, but you'll learn a lot. And that's all I can say. I warned you. Yeah. Well, I think that we've come so far, actually. I mean, I, I, what I've come to realize is that... <laughs> so I, 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 have this, I have this policy in my class, which my mom gave me as an idea. So I, I don't... I don't I, I'm uncomfortable dealing with my students in a way that when they're not adults. Yeah. So when they ask me to like if they can go to the bathroom in class, it's very uncomfortable. So I arrange my entire classroom such that I never have to have these kind of conversations with students. Good. Yeah. And one of them is is that like adjudicating last minute extensions, like whether or not I just don't like doing it. Yeah. So what I do is I have a due date mm-hmm. when the time is due, and then I have a grace period, usually of like two days. So often it's due on a Friday and there's a mm-hmm. grace period to a Sunday. And what that yeah. basically means is it's due on Friday. Right. But you have to send it to hand it in and complete it. Mm-hmm. But don't ask me for an extension or tell me anything. Right. At all. Right. If you get hit by a bus, right. hand in what you have. Right. Right. There's no extensions if it's after Friday. Yeah. Before Friday, we can talk. After Friday, no. Yeah. And what this does is it means that and it points the, the, the key pivotal experience that led me to use this policy where I had a student who wrote me an elaborate letter about the content, color, shape, odor of his diarrhea. <laughs> God. to help explain why it was extremely serious that he had a 12-hour extension on an assignment so he could do it in the morning the next day. Yeah. And I decided at that point I wanted to have no more of these conversations. <laughs> no. So if it's the kind of thing that would make you two days later more, yeah. it probably is something serious you should talk to me about. Right. And if it's not, I don't want to know. Right. Right? So I, I created this policy. But whenever I introduce it, why am I telling you this story? Whenever I introduce it yeah. to students nowadays, and this is not the case, it, it's, I've noticed it increase. They ask me a thousand questions, and I can tell they're they're asking themselves, "What this? What, what's this motherfucker's angle? <laughs> and how's he trying to screw me?" Like, and, and all I can do when I when I when I have these conversations, I think to myself, like, "Who hurt you?" Yeah, like, exactly. You know, I'm like, "What happened in your in your life in school? Yeah, where you at the, you have the view that I'm like this troll." Who, who guards a bridge that you need to get over, Yeah. right? Yeah. It's this incredibly bizarre kind of approach to education. But yeah. it, it is the case if it's like, well, these are requirements, these are the skills you need to attain, and if you don't, you don't get the things you want in life. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that, that is not a liberal arts thing to be talking about, right? Because... Oh, sorry, what I was going to say was what I do now is I'm just very explicit with them yeah. because I realize they're coming from such a, from a damaged place. Right. Like you were saying, this, this yeah. is where it came from, was that... And again, class now, I, I, this conversation I'm having with you, it'll, it'll should echo with many of my students that I mm-hmm. have now. Because when I intro- introduce my teaching, I just start with like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What should we be, and I pretend like we are doing, I don't think we're all doing it, but I think it's what we should be doing when, right. we're, when we're doing liberal education. And I tell them, like, this, is, this is what I'm up to. Like, yeah. this is what I want you to go to the class. So you don't need to like ask me if this is going to be on the test because it's not. Right. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's but not that, about. That, yeah, that kind of, but that kind of instrumentalism of the students is, is back to what we were talking about before. Yeah. The university saying, you got to do this to, in order to get a job, and blah, blah, blah. And, and the students who are, most of our students have gone through these, like, high end, uh, high, how do you call it, high uh, stress uh, IB programs. Yeah, yeah. And they're schools, like, elite schools. Yeah, elite schools, but they're also like tick, 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 ticking all those boxes. Yeah. And, and their uh, self development, which is a really kind of mushy idea, is 
kind of like ignored in many cases, and it is a secondary thing. And, and if you flip that upside down, you say, no, we're, we're gonna put self-development first, then they're, sometimes they panic, they don't know what to do. Of course. Yeah, and, uh, and so. And then they get confused. Like, if yeah. I'm gonna do self-development, why, why does it look like, why are there classes organized this way? Why is there a school? It's like, well, believe it or not, this is actually a way to do it. But like, it, do, it doesn't see, I've never used this structure of life right. to develop myself this way before. Yeah. This seems like a category error to them. Right. <laughs> like, like. So another Greek word, mythos. Yeah. So my understanding, because I was contrasting mythos with logos in a, which yeah. I think they actually run into each other in a hard way. Yeah, right? So we can talk about this about politics, but let's stick with education. So the the logos is, I'm, I'm going to bastardize this, but yeah. the, the idea is that you, you, you do these steps that logically lead to something. I'm just using logos as in logic. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and, and, and assuming you know what your goal is, which is a big problem here, then uh, you'll get where you need to go. That's the thing. Uh, and if I'm making a peanut butter jelly sandwich, I can use logos pretty well. But if I'm educating somebody or I'm, I'm a student myself, I'm, I'm learning myself to be educated, then you need some kind of mythos. You need some kind of, why are we here? You yeah. need some kind of a faith in the process, including faith in someone telling you to do something you don't want to do that it might actually be good for you, right? And I think the students are kind of sometimes thinking, how, how does, I know the system, I know there's a logos here, and how does that how is how is you telling me I know what to do match with me getting to my goals? Yeah. You see how this is yeah. how this is a challenging thing? Yeah. Because I mean this is this is the difference between an, an oblique versus a direct strategy, right? Right. They they just and, and I think a lot of what we're talking about is just, it's in the culture, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're in such a late stage enlightenment kind of society where we, we're just looking for the direct causal, the lever, Yeah. right? Uh, we, we, want, we, want, we want the 12 steps to, to, to greatness yeah. kind of thing. And, 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 and we're just less, less willing to accept this idea of oblique strategies, mm -hmm. right? We, we, we don't have, we don't believe in them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To some extent, or, or I, I find this all the time when I'm trying to explain to students, like, this is how it works. They're like, we just don't, they just don't believe me until yeah. they do it. And then they come back as alums right. and they're like, wow, you know, I learned so much in so many different ways and I expected to be learning it. I'm like, yeah, I know. They're like, you were right. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I knew, I knew, like I've had this, like uh, I had, I mean, those are my favorite conversations, obviously, because it strikes my ego in an incredible way. Like you're a prophet, but like when you have, you know, alums who, who have graduated or at graduation and they remember that talk I give them as first years, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, well, that was, you know, something that was really true to my experience. And I'm just like. That's why I said it, bitch. And, and they often usually I'm, say like, and I didn't believe you at the time. Yeah. Right? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like, you know, and, and, that, and that, that's, that's part of the journey, right? But yeah. it's also like. It's frustrating. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> they don't believe you because it, it doesn't. It doesn't. They don't grok it. It's not. It's not in, in the water like it was a hundred years ago. Right. Right. We, we lived in a virtue ethical society at the, at the turn of the twentieth century. Right. And we and we live in a very postmodern consequentialist one now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and the, so the way the way our lives are organized and we talk about ourselves is just. It's it's not prone to oblique strategies like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. For, it's for, I'll tell you one more example. So yeah. I, I taught this class for not credit, because students were just having such a hard time um, with their lives, right? You mm -hmm. remember, mm -hmm. still happening. But, mm -hmm. but I took this class on, on, on uh, Stoicism, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where we, we read, and it was a practical class, we read, like, we read all the classics, we read Epictetus, we read Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, I had a whole, whole really deep written curriculum. We had a couple books to help guide us through them. That, and then we, we worked on the practices that those, those, um, those philosophical suggested. And 
I think the students, a lot of them really thought, because I can tell from the response that they thought I was trying to teach them and convert them to some sort of like stoic philosophy. Right. But then at the end, after they, they did all these things, because they were good sports, and I was apparently a sufficiently uh, motivating cult leader, where they, they did the practices for a couple of weeks, things like, you know, sleeping on hard floors occasionally, taking cold showers, you know, you know, cutting yourself with the morning meditation, evening meditation at, at night, not very long, and then journaling, right? Mm -hmm. Just a little bit, like we're talking about 20 minutes. They were like, wow, but you know, like, I have to say, I've really, like, my whole perspective on, on living, my experience of living has really changed. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so you can like, forget everything that you read now. Mm -hmm. And now you know that by the way in which you, you live your life, you can completely alter the way you perceive things. Right. The way you encounter problems and challenges. Right. And so now, now you have, now you can start exploring other ways of, of living in the world, right? Mm -hmm. But that's an oblique strategy. They thought I was trying to teach them about stoicism. I don't care if they remember a damn thing about stoicism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you I wanted them to remember that stoic practices are practices of its type, virtue, ethical kind mm -hmm. of lives. Mm -hmm. or, but that kind of lesson, this idea that you do a thing to learn other character building, that was norm, that was obvious, that was in the water everywhere. Right. In right. our cultures in right. the West right. in, until, you know, the last 50, 75 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for our students, I feel like we have to often tell them directly, like, this is what this is. This, this, and, you, and you have to lead them along, like, I'm gonna, you're gonna, it's going to be rough. Yeah. And you'll like it when you win. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, think, I think part, I, I agree with what, what you're saying, and I, I think one of the things that's, that's become problematic in education in general, and especially in higher education, is that it's, uh, you know, this word democratized has mm. been abused widely because yeah. people say, well, we should make decisions on democratic principles, which usually does not mean democratic principles. But uh, if we talk about school, and sometimes it means democratic principles. Sometimes, but you don't know. Right? Yeah, in the most, when, when there's more of us than there are of them, we definitely want democratic full democratic principles, principles exactly. as, as pure democrat as possible. Yeah, yeah. We love majoritarianism. Yeah, we, we, we're all about the majoritarianism. Exactly. We yeah. win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Some people are really all about it when they say exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. So, the, you know, the, the uh, democracy is when you have two wolves and a sheep deciding who, who's for dinner. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but if we go back to the back in the day, and I mean even before, you know, we went to school, before we were born, Higher education was elite. Yeah. And the elites had, and, and liberal arts education started off with the ne'er-do-wells of various rich families just getting chucked in a, in a station wagon, to, or what do you call it, a, a stagecoach, yeah. to go away and leave the family alone. And you know they ended up just like messing around and reading books and, and talking Greek to each other. And, and that was this very strange start in the 19th century. And then we've gone forward and, and education has become more widespread, more dem democratic. It's become, it's open to all kinds of people that were not open to before. So the non-elites are in there, uh, and they were told this is how you become an elite, or this is how you become successful. And now you have this whatever to to, to abuse a cliche, a twelve-step program to yeah. success. Yeah. And and, and what, universities are entirely linked up with the job market. Yeah. The, the universities love this because yeah. they can just run these students through and collect a bunch of money. Yeah. And uh, and then the people in the universities are also kind of part of the machine in a way. Yeah. And if you say, like, here, here's, here's, a, here's a counter, here's the thing I, I say, the less teaching I do, the more the students learn. Yeah. So if I just literally, this happened during COVID, you guys go talk to each other about this topic, and I come back and say, did you learn something? Basically, a short answer, yes, I did. It's like, at some point, this becomes, why is David necessary? And I think that's probably okay. But um, then people are like, well, what about your accreditation? How do you have grades? And blah, blah, blah. it's like, so how do you certify they learn something? It just gets stupid. But there's, there's a tension here between um, developing that individual 
that that everybody thinks is a good idea typically, but every party party to that, the 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 students, the parents, the administrators, the professors, somehow somehow have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a problem, right? We yeah. we, we have to reconcile these two. Well, what things. I want to back up is is, is please so, so I didn't I didn't I don't totally love the way you, you want to twist your narrative a little bit. Please do correct so, it. Even. No, 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 no. So it's it's one of those things where it's it when you just have them go off and do their thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they have these conversations. It doesn't lead me to ask why is David there, mm-hmm. right? It leads me to ask, okay, that's that's how far they can get, with David just providing a reasonable, healthy kind of good educational environment mm-hmm. where they can do that, right? And then the question becomes, all right, so how can we use David to facilitate that to make to supercharge that to make that better, right? Mm-hmm. But the first step that I think that your your, your question is leading into is the lack of faith in that first thing, right. this idea that. A decentralized, more chaotic, slightly more messy approach can actually work better, and can be aided. Well, uh, it can be better. If it, it can be better seen as something to aid mm-hmm. rather than as something to to try to outperform through some sort of top-down directed fashion. Absolutely true. Right, and and I think that and, I, and there, there's a time for, for for technical training, and there's a time for not. Like I mean, I think that sometimes. I think for, for teaching certain types of mathematics and statistics, for example, doing a completely open curriculum approach is just, it's doable. It's just more time consuming yeah. than doing it for some other skills. Right. Some skills, I mean, you, you, I think it'd be better done that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I think as someone who's taught statistics a number of times, I think it would be better taught as a more open kind of playground kind of approach. Mm-hmm. But it would be a lot more time consuming. Right. It would to get the same amount, amount of outcome, you'd need a lot more time invested. Right. But other things like writing, I'm not so sure that's the case. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure having a more focus on writing throughout a curriculum um, is, is, is in, a, in a more happenstance way yeah. is worse or better. I think it's better than having one directed academic writing class that's designed to teach writing and then everyone else can kind of just kind of ride on those kind of benefits, right? Yeah. I think having a, the chaotic approach that's more messy where everyone may not get the exact same but they're all getting different like um, pressures on the writing over time. Mm-hmm. That crafts a, a, a much more independent Uniquely voiced quality writer that right. you know we all we all got teched out with the same twelve step program in academic writing, but having faith in that process is and like is the challenge the for reason, selling these things exactly. But the reason you want to do that is because the the so called learning outcomes, uh, which are the bureaucrats love, actually endure. Yeah. Yeah. And and so yeah. the, the number of students that have walked out of class and like one week later after the break come back know nothing yeah. from the block before it's like that's scary yeah so you better have done my my point in response to that then you have better taught that class in a way where the retention of all those details was not the goal right right because but, but so, you because so you, you will lose every time yeah so that's exactly right hundred <laughs> percent so the thing is like what are you actually learning right? right as you said before about you know these essays and this process yeah. and stoicism and and i think so so going back to liberal arts and sciences if it's not self-direction there's guidance right there's yeah. experienced people around yeah. you and uh and it also kind of clashes with this kind of high modernism way of managing large populations oh, yeah. right. uh, so they all fit in boxes and uh, and then and the people that fund this public education are not necessarily happy about a bunch of uh you know free thinking question asking uh, graduates, they do like that kind of boxes thing. So they want, they want to know how this thing can can, can be used to, to maximize goals. 
they care about. Right. Yeah. Which may, yeah, exactly. Which and, and not the goals they don't care about, which could be counterproductive to their yeah. employment status. And this is why bringing it back to more parochial concerns yeah. with liberal arts colleges in the Netherlands. Yeah. Is that this was one of our big problems? Is like so, like I said, this this whole thing we were talking about, like the faith, like the kind of core faith and this kind of oblique strategy machine yeah. at the core of, of you know, if you focus on this thing, you'll get all this other stuff. Trying to sell that was just too high a task in the minds of of, of I believe those who want to do it in the beginning. Although I, I think that Adrianson did more of this than than subsequent founders have done. Mm-hmm. And the goal instead that we we kind of sold these programs on the on the implications. Mm-hmm. So if your educational program is really focused on individual development, you can't have small large classes. You mm-hmm. need to have a lot of one on one context. So small class sizes. Right. We're gonna have small class sizes. Now because you're you're no longer just kind of laying out a program, but you're you're trying to do something a bit more creative, mm-hmm. it's gonna be a lot more intensive than everything. So it's gonna be intensive, small scale education. Okay. Um, and because we're interested in introducing students to lots of different um, um, streams and narratives and the great conversation about everything from the sciences to the humanities, we're going to be doing interdisciplinarity. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and so we, we ended up building kind of like um, bureaucratic consensus for these university colleges mm-hmm. on the backs of implications of our, of, our, uh, of, our, of our approach that could be good for marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then the problem has been that one of two things: one, like people in the colleges themselves start focusing on those those targets. So that's that's what that's what the, the university likes. Mm-hmm. Or, or if, if they don't do it, then the university themselves starts adopting all these things, and they're just like, okay, well, what what's special about you? And <laughs> right. the answer is, well, since we've lost the actual core thing, and we were focused on all of these implications, nothing really. Yeah. If you if we're only talking about small classes without talking about why we're having small classes, yeah. then we fail. Exactly. So so yeah. I mean you you can you can implement in a more in, intense and maybe more meaningful way right. a kind of content delivery system educational process. Right. And it, it would benefit from that. Interdisciplinary is always a good thing. Right. Um, but it's not the same. Not for its own sake. It's, but it's also just not the same. The effect, the process, uh, what you get out is not the same. Right. I mean. Uh, uh, one of the, th- I think, one of the big strengths you get from a liberal arts education that you, you can't get from like a simple top-down interdisciplinary pro- uh, uh, education is the creative cross-domain thinking. Mm-hmm. The idea of applying and seeing how structures and ideas and um, yeah, worldviews, lenses from, from 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 literature can apply to the way you understand the meaning of certain scientific precepts and vice versa. Like this sort of process is, is difficult to teach outside of a liberal arts context. But and, and but but how do you sell that if people have no faith in the I, mechanism? I, I uh, yeah. So so this is a, I'm going to bring in one of my hobby horses for a second because um, one of them is that uh, as as uh, I told you, but like when I surveyed uh, surveyed our, our alumni, uh, I asked how many of you are getting PhDs. And five percent are getting PhDs. Ninety-five percent are not getting PhDs. So all the staff here teaching are PhDs, yeah. uh, and or they're supposed to be because yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know bureaucratic uh, priorities. And a bunch of PhDs are teaching a bunch of people who are not going to get PhDs. You know about life, about yeah. reality, whatever that is. And then that's can be misleading, right? Now the the interdisciplinarity is one way of curing that problem because if you stay within a discipline, you can yeah. stay in the cult, yeah. you can stay in a little hole that no one actually lives in, yeah. except for a bunch of, or sorry, a small number of academics, and the students think, oh, this is it. And they go to the next class, which is not interdisciplinary, and they get a different hole that they're in, and they can't connect those dots. Right. And as soon as you try to connect the dots, you start to deal with reality, which is really uncomfortable for people that are disciplinary. And uh, and, and the students are like- Or they're just trained, generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah for, uh, uncomfortable for many, I mean, yeah. uncomfortable because of, of professional um, uh, priorities yeah. and, and, and rewards. But also, 
like, ah, I don't talk to other social scientists. I mean, talk about the low, low hanging fruit. Yeah. And so, but if you do that real world stuff, you do the interdisciplinary stuff, then the students who are never going to stay in the academic world are actually uh, able to deal with the real world because yeah. they've been doing it in school. Yeah. Well, I mean, liberal arts colleges, right, are, are based on the ludicrous notion that so this is actually this is having a, people who are cloistered and separated from yeah. society a little bit as us, yeah. right? To think about stuff and just reflect. Yeah, that there's something beneficial from sitting with with professional reflectors. Yeah, for a period of time. Yeah, so that when you come out, you'll be a more reflective, generally equipped person. Yeah, for the world. That's the radical notion. Yeah. That's I think borne out by like thousands of years of history, right? right? Like right. you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, that's that's the that's the way it's meant to work, right? And and there's and, and there's these these things are are not the same thing. So developing the individual is not the same thing as being interdisciplinary, but they are right. very complementary. Absolutely, because you want you don't want an individual who's also you know goes outside and they're like essentially an idiot, and you don't want an interdisciplinary person who is uh not, not doesn't have an original thought. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of it. It's like, you know, you're, you're, the premise is you have individuals. I mean, it's the other thing. When, you, when you're talking about people who are disciplinary, you're, you're, you're often, you're, 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 in, your, in your story, there's a very particular vision of that individual. Mm-hmm. That individual is a pretty closed individual. Like, I, I am the carrier of the economics profession. I am the carrier of the political science profession, profession and worldview. And, I mean, that's one way to be. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I th- and we all know academics like that. Yeah. But I think... And this is about my vision of, of, of an ideal, not necessary. So this is not like if you're not this, you're not able to work at a liberal arts college. But mm-hmm. I think the ideal liberal arts um, professor or, or scholar or product is someone who who's an individual perspective that stands apart from these various disciplines and is able to, you know, at a little bit of a distance. Yeah. Right? And recognize that their lenses, yeah. their lights to shine on the world, that they understand as such, that they have to make judgments and they have to discern. I mean, right. another big word I would use is like discernment. It's about teaching discernment. How do I discern which lenses are the ones I can account, I can be accountable to myself honestly for, right. applying to understand, think about, and take action in a particular situation or in the world, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I think that's that's the that's the essential goal, and and I think an academic ideally should should be sufficiently non disciplinary enough mm-hmm. that they may be someone who like this is how I think this is why, but I recognize this one perspective among men. Yeah, yeah, and that they should be able to teach that that like they should be able to model making commitments to a particular worldview mm-hmm. while recognizing that they are not that worldview. Right, and like, also where I have like a, like my, my my I told you my, my economics professor who was the <laughs> who who made the impression I mean the opposite way where he was like well the problem with people is they just don't conform to our economic models <laughs> that are clearly the right way. For the world to be. I mean, this is someone oh, yeah. who believed Talk about economic models were not just not just ideals, but they were also the reality <laughs> that the world should really be striving towards. I mean, it was a really it's a really odd. That's a level of it. That's a cult. That's a cult. That's imbibing your discipline to a worrying degree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think that while it's important to have some of those people around in a liberal arts environment, so you can have like a "Don't let this happen to you" kind of experience. Yeah. But, I, I think that people should be, you know, seeing that as they go through the in the teaching experience. And I think a lot of acad- people like I've seen come through teaching liberal arts colleges have that experience. Yeah, they come in very disciplinary, very creatures of their program, and then they like, you know, they teach these classes in this way. They encounter colleagues and they start to establish a bit of a distance. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think that's healthy. That's where individuality comes from. Where you're no longer a, an agent. Of your discipline, so so in that case, you have an even better situation with interdisciplinarity. We have individuals teaching disciplinary traditions, right? As such, you know, explicitly, 
Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what we're doing. Right. This is not. This is not me revealing truth to you. But also with caveats. Yeah. And, and I'm really revealing a truth to you, a system of truth to you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. even if, if and we can even call it a system, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a tradition. A tradition yeah. is better. Than yeah. A yeah. No, but I mean a system. Like if you say, oh, there's an economic system, and like, man, there are wars on this shit. Well, even even yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things. Uh, you oh, know, sorry. A system of a system of understanding economics, right? Not yeah. not actual world, yeah. but like yeah. the topic. Yeah. I was gonna say ontology is like main thing we need to be wary of, right? That's yeah. the, the classic James Foster Wallace quote about liberal arts colleges. Like, yeah, the two fish, and they're swimming along, and they see an old fish, and the old fish says, how's the water, boys? Yeah. And they say, fine. And then look to each other like, what the heck is water? Right. right? Yeah. It's, it's this thing where they just don't even recognize the... Yeah, I think... It's seeing for the first time the water around you that you're swimming in. Exactly. And, 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 and that, I think, to see something that you haven't seen before is a really good blow for humility. Yeah. Because... Um, most of us, uh, you know, not most of us, all of us are egotistical from the very simple idea that we sense the world through our eyes and ears and blah, blah, blah. And we have our own experiences, long history there, culture and all that stuff. And then to actually get to the point where, and I, I, I wrote about this in my newsletter, where I think something is going on in this conversation with this person. And this person is uh, not responding the way I assume. Then when I ask them what the hell is going on, they have a completely different story. Yeah. And the fact that this happens, um, I think a lot in life, yeah. uh, but we're not tolerant or we're not, it's not the first thing that springs to mind. The first thing that springs to mind is what's wrong with that person? Yeah. And when you're in this interdisciplinary thing, when you're being critiqued in front of your English class in high school, at some point you realize, and, and my favorite example was the in the S training when I was a, a kid, you stand up in front of the room, the room is full of 200 people, they haven't peed for a day because of the S training. This is an old a joke from, from San Francisco. And, uh, and someone stands in front of you and says, you're an asshole, you're an asshole, you're an asshole. And everybody gets got called, called an asshole in, in front of a whole bunch of people, which is meant to be mortifying but it's also been a bit of ego death, right? You're supposed to sit there and say, okay, we're all assholes. And more so, like, if they see me this way, then how do they, how do I see them? And and that's where it starts to click. How do I see them, mm-hmm. right? And and there's this element of of so being this is in, the S version of the original, the teaching of original sin. I well, no, the teaching of original sin. Yeah, original sin. When it's when or it's universal taught, depravity. When it's taught properly, correct. Yeah. When yeah. it's used as a cudgel, that is a problem. Yeah, of course. Right. And uh, and some people can't tell that difference, which mm-hmm. is which is a challenge. Of course. The same thing happens in school. They don't understand the teaching. You get a bad grade, and people say you're a bad person. It's yeah. Like that's the same problem. Yeah. So anyway, long way to, to, to get to a, a, a question I want to or kind of bring this up, which is that, you know, what's the point of education and why are we here? And this liberal arts tradition is, is very, very strong on this in terms of answering this. Understanding that tradition is not very as strong as it should be. No. Now, I wrote this blog post uh, about uh, is your major queer friendly? Mm. And uh, so this student asked me this uh, question and I was like, uh, I said, what the hell does that have to do with my major? And I think that the, and I wrote this and I wanna hear your thoughts because the, the, the student was kind of saying, uh, will I be okay as a person the way I see myself with people talking about uh, governance, economics and development? And number one, I've got very straight answers for that. Like, you know, the governance and, and rights of minorities, which is, you know, what the student would fall into that category or people like whoever is supposed to be identified as queer, governance is a very for, important factor in their lives. So you can certainly come in and say, I, I want to know how governance affects queer, queer people. That's totally fine. But the part that didn't make any sense to me is like, why do you have to be a certain kind of person to understand these ideas? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to comment on this, right? Because it's hard to know exactly what the student means. 
But is your, is your major right. Christian I, friendly? Is it vegan friendly? Yeah, and this is the thing. If, if it's if it's if it's stipulating just you know, will some of my fundamental contested assumptions not be challenged or, or right in, in any context? You're in the it, wrong school. It, it, my yeah, opinion. But also, it's just. Um, It's a it's a generally it's a it's a generally difficult request to square with it with a with a diverse and pluralistic society. Yeah, right. So that's, that's the general absolutely. That's a general point, right? Which is that um, because that's what we are. We are pluralistic. Yeah, and, and I think it's particularly challenging. In, in your example, is why like you know there's a lot of different metaphysical assumptions about the value and dignity of various individuals that go down to fundamental assumptions of human metaphysics, mm-hmm. and. When we're talking about queer theory and 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 and, and so on, we're, we're often talking about taking on a certain set of metaphysical assumptions about the person, right? That has been traditionally the domain of, or historically been the re- domain of, of, of religious kind of foundations. So, like when you say like you know is it Christian friendly and so on, it's a similar question. And and I'm wary in the, in the liberal arts college context of. Of treating contested uh, con- the, ch- the the negotiation of contested categories as some uh, in, in nature of dignity of person as somehow off limits because that's essential to the idea of self development. Yeah, right? I mean it's been a big subject of human. It's a huge part of the great conversation of humanity. Yeah. right? I mean, and 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 at the end of the day, realistically. Um, the the dominance. I mean, the, in, as a matter of governance, economics, and development, right? I mean, how we negotiate the definition and the defining of minorities. This concept, mm-hmm. you know, is part of the story. Right. And pretending as if like there's. Well, I understand that for you, there's a, there's an ontologically like true existence of all of these categories, and they, they map on to the true reality as you understand it, and you're completely convinced, and that's great, and mm-hmm. that's fine. It, it's not the universal. Right. Um, it, it, and and, and it, it, most of the hitherto great conversation, you know, challenges it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it has to stand up, you know, in in, in, in that in that in that conversation. Right. Um, if people are going to be able to develop in a truly liberal, free fashion, right, right? in the sense of where they're not, they're, there was not a huge finger on the scales. Well, certain parts of the conversation are being cut out because, well. We've decided that that's just those are bad ideas. I mean, if, if if they're bad ideas, and then you can present them as such. Yeah. Right. I mean, you but know, instead they, of they like silence, they, they should be easily they should be easily dispensable, right? Right. And and then I think people often worry that this can this is the big fear of like I came up and a student asked about this in my first talk about the paradox of tolerance. You know, well, what happens if yeah, people have intolerance cease? Well, then will then you know mm-hmm. take over and you know. And I, first of all, I understand that. Uh, I mean, that can't happen mm-hmm. from any side, right? Mm-hmm. In a liberal arts college context, if that happens, is the death of the institution, as far right. as I can understand it. Right. Right. But I think I think that there's a built-in uh, there's a built-in defense, but people don't like it because it, it, it rests on that thing that we they have to have faith in again, which is this this oblique strategy, which is that I think that having an education system that really takes seriously the notion of the individual mind, mm-hmm. where we spend time, and this has been true since. Since since the liberal arts existed in Rome, mm-hmm. where you're engaging in cultural encounters, where you're reading, there was a Romans reading the Greeks and reflecting their Roman society through Greek eyes and so on. Once you engage in that kind of practice a lot and you see these different worldviews, you engage with other individuals as individuals. You um, 
you realize is how how difficult it is to nail down a lot of these things. One of the Bingo. side benefits is, is kind of a, a humanistic right. kind of ethic that emerges, right? I mean, there's a reason why liberal arts education has been his, historically associated with so many of these kind of humanistic movements, mm -hmm. is that I, I think it's a side effect of having a, a system that really takes seriously these conversations. And going back to your thing about you know universal depravity, yeah. once you recognize that it's been hard for everyone, right, right, and, and that you know very often people is just you know you know you, you have a better perspective on the you have a bigger perspective on these things. It it, it makes you more humi humble, as you said. Mm -hmm. it, it, it helps to prevent pride, and therefore the idea of becoming a a really militant and tolerant is just going to be really difficult for you to muster honestly. Yeah, I mean you can do it, but you're going to do some real some real intellectual pretzels, right? You're gonna tie yourself up in knots to yeah. get there. And so I think that, I mean, an honest approach to this kind of education where people are at least pursuing that one core ethic mm -hmm. gets us a lot of these things on the side that make a lot of these concerns about, well, if we have you know, free engagement with these different conversations, including the ones that may challenge my self-conception mm -hmm. in the case of it being queer-friendly. Right. I mean, the idea that this conversation is somehow dangerous is it's just a flight from reality mm -hmm. right right yeah. and, and, and I think it rests on some fears that the, the tradition itself if you can have a little bit of faith in it takes care of on its own I, 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 I completely agree with you and one of the things that I think is a challenge is that when someone says that they're saying it from the perspective of if there are people that are not queer friendly, yeah. just keep on this example. But it's you can Jesus a million times, uh, you know, not American friendly, not not you know. Yeah, every Christian any friendly. any any system that has a self identification yeah. of sacred things. Exactly, that, yeah. exactly. Because someone's saying you're not in our category. Don't so desecrate my sacred bad. things. Exactly. Yeah. So they're like, so I'm not in. Someone says I'm not in the right category. Can you protect my category? It's like no, no, no. The, the whole premise is wrong. You're you're not in a category. You're a human. You're a person. Well, you're that I, first, and everything and you, else. You associate is, with these yeah. different groups, but like you don't get categorically excluded from various other discussions well, or, or senses of justice. Like everyone's got or you some can, rights here, or you, or you can. Like so, well, you can be excluded. So one thing yeah. I want to say is like so I don't think I, I focus on this a lot, and I mention this in my, in my talk as well to students is like the individual focus does not make it necessarily friendly to liber, uh, uh, individualism either, mm -hmm. right? So you could be someone who's really committed to these sort of group. Mm -hmm. Group ideas, right? And, and and you can conclude that they're real. Like mm -hmm. so, I think your idea that you're not part of a group, you're not this, you're human, is is is, is a little unfair up to a point. No, it's not. Yeah, you know, so, but, so I'm carrying. saying it's, that's completely okay. But you yeah. need to recognize that in the context of that form of education, mm -hmm. you're an individual mind in a communitarian kind of system that you've chosen. Mm -hmm. and that's one potentially among others mm -hmm. that then you have to account for the level of exclusionarity you have mm -hmm. as in terms of recognizing other people's willingness to, ability to exist right that right. has to be something that's that's permitted yeah so I, so I, I'm not as opposed to the idea of like you're an individual that's the only way you can be treated like I, I, you know that's negotiable as well right but what we can't say is we're going to enshrine one collectivity or one side of the collectivity as the only thing we will even be allowed to teach as content right 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 so I mean I mean I think that I, because I, I again I think that uh, I think I, I personally think that um, a really robust liberal arts education makes one very skeptical of individualism mm -hmm. as much as totalitarianism and other mm -hmm. forms of, of human objectification mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. because obviously once you reflect on human history reality philosophy thought it's hard to and experience it's hard to escape the notion that we're mutually dependent vulnerable creatures that's that's right? not the same as so is no, that but the, is that the same as individualism because I don't see it that way no, no, individualism is is, is, is as a as a normative philosophical school, right? It, okay. it kind of rests on this 
these enlightenment fictions. The idea is, I mean, think about the way the idea of human liberty is organized in the foundation of, li of liberal philosophy, right? It, it's almost always the state of nature arguments, <laughs> right? Right. And what, what, what do we know about the state of nature arguments? You have usually in the, in the imaginations of people like Hobbes and Locke, men mm -hmm. who are fully grown with full physical capabilities who then can engage in a war of all against all or other things, right? right. That's, that, that's, that's their starting point, right? Right. What they forget, and I understand why, because they're middle-aged dudes, <laughs> was that like... Who have never worked a day in Children life. exist. Yeah. Right? And they have to be born and reared. And like, and so the, the truly free individual is a dead infant. Right. Right? The truly free individual who's never been constrained by any other outside unchosen force. Right. Who's completely been freed right. of all non-consent. Yeah. is a dead newborn. Yeah. Cuz humans are built for dependency. Yeah. From from literally day one, right? So, yeah. so but, I, but I think that firm reflection allows you to think. Well, individualism mm -hmm. is one argument. I mean, I, I can ascribe myself to it, mm -hmm. and I can I can agree to it, and I can make arguments for it. But it's not going to be something that's implicit in the model of education, mm -hmm. right? This is often some 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 arguments against these kind of free speech claims that come from a liberal arts education. It's not based on an individualist notion of. It's it's based no. on the ability of in, individual minds being able to make their choices and their commitments more honestly and self-reflectively. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be an Amish person, you should be able to be an Amish person with a full liberal arts degree from this college. Sure. Right, is the, is yeah. the, is the idea, yeah. right? Although um, getting over here on a carriage might be difficult. Yeah, it had to be on like Rumspringer or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rumspringer, I jumped on a plane. Yeah. Uh, but also, but, I want to follow up with what you're saying okay. and then we can we can wrap up. But uh, I, want, I want to transition to at least two things. Please do. Move it but along. I'm just going to say, yeah. there are rights as an individual, but there are obligations. Of course. To whatever your group, society, whatever right. that is. Yeah. I mean, that's a balancing point. No, but that's, that's, that's another kind of core thing that comes, should come out of recognizing, even, again, built into the form of education. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the way a, a good classroom r runs. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have to use rights frameworks in the classrooms, you're already in trouble. Yep, absolutely. You, you, you've got to be based on, on, a, on a shared, legitimate culture and, and, and sort of enriched set of behaviors that are, have yeah. obligations and duties, like my, my obligation to listen, your, your duty to express yourself clearly and sensitively. Yeah. You know, you know, these sort of things where you know you, you try to do the least harm as possible while expressing the most truth possible right as you understand it right yeah. those kind of duties and obligations you know that has to be in the air as some legitimate thing yeah for a really healthy kind of classroom to thrive yeah but one of the things I wanted to, 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 to talk a little bit about as well as is why this I think is so relevant for what's happening now Hmm. And moving forward, and this being the, this form of education, yeah, right. Well, why, why is why is the, why is the liberal arts moment that we've had in the Netherlands that led to all these schools? Why it shouldn't be over, and why it should be, I think, even more dug into. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just comes from so many of our failings right now are coming from these very. Um, Close-minded confu confusion of the map for the terrain, the ideas for the reality, uh, the the notion that you know downplaying of, of serious complexity and dealing with things that we just don't know. I mean, my favorite example, obviously, is the COVID pandemic. Right. I mean, the very idea that there would be something called a pandemic, a global pandemic expert that we should <laughs> listen to that makes policy. I mean, that that whole discourse just was so de so demonstrated how this kind of highly linear, highly specialized, top highly down. rationalized, top-down professionalization of education and, 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 the, and the life of the mind yeah. has been just incredibly destructive to our ability to self-govern. Right. 
I mean, we've had a handful of global pandemics of which we have reference. None in a period with the kind of economic development that we have now, with the yeah. kind of interconnectivity and supply chains. There's sociological, developmental, political, economic, medical, biological, biomedical implications, management implications. There is no one who has the expertise in these in all these things. True. Right? And so the ability to think laterally, to hold on to the values that really matter, to make wise and discerning choices across these different things required people to be able to take a step back from their particular framework to be like, there's something bigger going on mm-hmm. and I had to be able to integrate things that I come some common sense some things I'm getting into the things I know and I had to be able to do this on the fly and people were clearly very bad at it yeah exceptionally poor and they and, and they were also put on the they were they were put in a position of of not being able to get out of being bad at it like yeah. it wasn't like hey let's learn how this works it was like i've got the solution yeah. you know and and or i'm going to tell you the solution and that's the worst way to go about it yeah i mean yeah exactly and it, i mean i think about like the rise of ai uh global climate change, all these things. <laughs> kind of require, everything, our whole life. You know, things are, it requires balancing a lot of stuff. I mean, so many students think that it's it's a trivial matter. Well, with a problem with climate change and the, economic, and the ecological crisis is that it's a coordination problem. We can't give the government to the right thing. So what we need to do is we need to put the people who all are the experts who know the right thing to do, and we need to put, make, give them dictatorial control over policy, and then things will happen. And then you have, things a, will happen. And then you have a political scientist who raise their hands and like, are these experts still human beings? Yeah. Uh, are they able to to process all the values that are going to be relevant for the? How are they going to solve that calculation problem? I mean, like there's the, the result is that that's totalitarianism is not the answer. Not because no one ever thought about putting the right people in charge. Right. Is that there's just certain trying. there's certain limits yeah. uh, on the capacity of humans to operate that political scientists understand. Yeah. Right. And you need to be able to balance all those things and think across those domains and people aren't skilled at doing it. Yeah, but but it, that is what liberal arts and science education and the and the well-educated individual should be exceptional at doing. Yeah, so it's not just political scientists understand. Everyone who's gone through liberal arts should understand because they're in the classroom, they realize that I am not the be-all, end-all on this, on this planet, let alone this conversation. And that is where that humility brings an openness to different ways of solving things. Yeah, yeah. understanding understanding the reality of of, you know, of any particular issue can be looked at from many different lenses. Yeah. And looking at those lenses is what gets us closer to an honest reconciliation with the truth, right? I mean, and and we often like to choose just one and then we identify with that one and then you end up with these, what I think, you know, are bad decisions, unhappy people, bad societies, unwise choices. And you lose, you, 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 well, people become enslaved to the system that right. they've created. Right. Well, we, like, well, we can't really do anything about about the rise of AI. It's going to happen. Yes, we can. We absolutely can. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we, have, we have a history of doing this in, in the past. I mean, I don't know. But I understand why in the face of this huge machine yeah. where people aren't used to thinking as individuals separate from these things who can act independently of their incentives, where being impractical right. is the right thing to do, right. regardless of the immediate consequences you can calculate. Without those kind of ethics, uh, you, you, we're doomed to let the system just kind of spin out. So it's like, I, I tell students, like, you know, the, the problem with climate change and these global challenges isn't that the people haven't been fashionable enough in their views. <laughs> like, if only more people were more fashionable, we'd solve these problems. Is that the really hard problems? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and, and 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 being someone who's just on a side is not the way to address those problems in a deep fashion. And I think, and this is the last one I wanted to spend the last few minutes on so you could talk more, was like, you know, reflecting on Jive Talk and a lot of the best episodes that I really enjoyed listening to, where I thought, you know, a lot of the alums you've had on and other 
professors really embodied a lot of these kind of values and especially with the student story some of them just really you know they grew into themselves in a way that you know I think is reflective of the kind of foundation that was laid when they were at our college and I think that's the real value of it yeah absolutely it being again this kind of liberal arts education experience yeah, I'm, when I'm, it's done right when there's actually a focus on that kind of the yeah. telos and the ethos I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I mean I uh, I that's a that's a, a very uh, a good thing to observe, and I think one thing that one reason why I like doing those podcasts, besides the, you know my my uh, uh, the joy that I had having those conversations with most of the students who I, I you know didn't know a majority I'd never met before, but that the joy of those conversations was to compare those post LUC de- developments trajectories whatever sometimes as much as 10 years later with the the kind of the situation with the students in the classroom and to see that it's going to be okay yeah and that that's the lesson and uh, and the details are amazing, but it's going to be okay. And I, I I keep telling that to our students, and they're kind of like not always buying into that. But they it want makes the, me feel. They, they want the line. They want the they want the line. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> how can I cause this to happen? Yeah. Exactly. You know, and it's like I can't tell you how to meet the, the British man in the bar that happens to like the same novels you like and gives you the job of your dreams. I I, I don't a, I don't know how to tell you how to how to if I knew I would have done it before. Exactly. Yeah. Or like you know falling in love. It's like yeah I didn't expect this to happen, but here I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Brandon, anything else? Final thoughts? Okay, we can go on for hours, and we will. On we this will. Topic. So on, on this topic for our, our next our next little uh, project. Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Uh, Do you it, have time? Uh, we have uh, announced one minute. Well, the, you you give this you give the pitch because this is going to be a, maybe a different audience, maybe the same audience. I mean, the audience is vast. There's literally yeah, so, literally so, dozens of people. So we, to this we, we want to do a kind of interesting podcast that's gonna it's gonna start someplace and hopefully grow into something bigger. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Where we really focus on these questions of like the liberal arts and 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 a in a, in a, in a globalizing world, mm-hmm. right, and, and global challenges. And we're going to be doing this by by doing what I did when I prepared my uh, my, my address for first year. We're going to be going through the canon, so mm-hmm. reading a bunch of not the canon of like Western civilization, but the canon of like lots of reflections and writing on liberal arts and science education, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and the nature of education generally. And we're going to be, we have a little syllabus we put together. We're going to be having conversations on that, and then in between that, we're going to have interviews with again more interviews with alumni and other academics and scholars, uh, thinking about what they do and what they're thinking about through this kind of liberal artsy lens where we take a little step back from our disciplines and how these relate to other ideas and really really engage with it as kind of a number of intellectual minds having a really enriching conversation on these kind of topics kind of performing the things that we're reading about yeah and then hopefully we'll invite many of our colleagues from around the Netherlands and around the college to have conversations and potentially sometimes, around the world sometimes participate with us in our reading groups for on, on a particular particular month yeah that's going to be what we want to do, and then we're going to see how this grows into. If it's a platform for talking a bit more explicitly about these issues, because as David said, very often the liberal arts aren't very good at expressing themselves and representing themselves out there. So we're going to try. We're going to try to have a platform that can do that. Well, Brandon, thank you for stopping by. Your last episode of Jive Talk. Yeah. And let's let's look forward to what. The and I'm still next like, I'm not even the most. Unfortunately, I want I want it to be your Mike Mungo, but you, you canceled it too soon. I couldn't get ah, time. Well, you know, the best intentions. All right. All right. Take care, man. Thanks. You too. Bye.